This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass Podcast presented by Rental Street Components. With over 800 street fitments for handlebars, mounts, clip-ons, brake pads, chains and sprockets, check out rental.com to find what's perfect for your bike. On today's Paddock Pass podcast, myself, Steve English and David Emmett are going to be chatting about the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. And it's exciting to have the British Grand Prix back, Dave, because for me, this was always a big round on the calendar. Obviously, for you as well, it's always been an important round. You get to go home, get to catch up with everyone. Silverstone is something special, and it's something special despite the fact everyone complains about it. It, yeah, exactly. It, it is um, It is quite simply the best motorcycle racing track in all of the UK and one of the best in the world. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's an old airfield and it's built on a hill. And so the only way you can get to see anything is by sitting in grandstands. And um, it is absolutely massive. And um, it is staffed entirely by Jobsworths. But apart from that, it's, um, it's magnificent. So it depends. Like, the, people love... For example, Donington, because uh, or you know, Brands is the same. There, there, there's lots of grass banks you can sit on and look, uh, overlook the track. Um, there's lots of tracks like that. Silverstone isn't like that, but in just in terms of racing, it's such a good circuit. Well, guess what? Most people tend to watch on television. The coverage is class from Silverstone. The racing's unbelievable, and uh, I always loved. You know, I've always enjoyed going to Silverstone. It was where I went to a racetrack for the first time with Silverstone for Formula One back in '97, and uh, it was class. And I was hooked on Silverstone ever since then. I think it's a great place. I think it's a great event, and I think this year is going to be something special because we're going to be back there after missing it last season. Big crowd in Stowe. And uh, you're going to have it where it's Rossi's last chance racing in Britain. There's going to be a massive audience for it. I think there's going to be a, a great atmosphere at it. And I'm really excited for it. It's actually that exciting for the Paddock Pass podcast that Adam and Neil aren't even able to be on this week's show because they're flat out getting themselves ready for the British Grand Prix. We ended up putting the World Superbike show out a little bit earlier this week just because we had so much news to get through with the Reading and Bautista news. So click the link to listen to this week's show with myself and Gordo. But Dave, now we got the chance to move on to MotoGP and there's a lot to get through. Maverick Vinales finally confirmed at Aprilia and uh, we also know now that he's probably going to be testing at the end of the month. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, as I understand it, he will be testing at the Mizano test on, I think it's the 31st of um, of August, just before September. Uh, then after that, it will be, uh, if that goes well, I mean, I, were, I was told by someone in Aprilia that basically the, that they want to get him on the bike as soon as possible. Uh, now, how soon that is will sort of depend. It, it's likely to be uh, the, the race in Aragon, which is mid-September. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, Maverick straight to, straight to Aprilia. I'm, I'm quite surprised. Um, but, uh, well, I'm quite surprised that Yamaha actually sacked him really. That's the, that's the, that's the surprise to me. Um, I, I would have expected them to, uh, I don't know, wait a little bit. I would have expected them to sort of, you know, keep him on for the rest of the season. Uh, at least just keep him on the contract. I mean, why he, they owed him nothing. They felt no loyalty to him. Um, the, the two parties were completely broken. But then again, it's also, it just allows them to get rid of him, you know, like uh, show him the door, split up, let them uh, uh, let them go, and they can, they can start to move forward. Yeah, at the end of the day, like for Vinales, we know that his contract was 
pretty significant at Yamaha. And if they're able to get rid of him, you know, at what's probably about a, you know 300 grand a weekend or something along those lines, they make a big saving for the rest of the season. They're able just to cut ties. You'd imagine that going forward, someone like Morbid Daddy is going to be pushed onto the factory bike when he comes back. That gives them two top riders in the factory bike, gives him a little bit of time to get himself used to the surroundings. And uh, for Yamaha, it gives them a chance of being able to have leading riders on the bike in terms of being able to get manufacturer's points, team's championships, and obviously to support Fabio Quattararo as well. Yeah, I mean, it's actually quite complicated because uh, um, Franco Morbidelli is under contract to uh, Petronas, the only Yamaha rider currently under contract to to Petronas. So Petronas would actually, or, well... Can we still call them Patronus? Because they're not really Patronus anymore. They're off. Uh, they're, they're off doing something else. So, um, uh, but f- for the time being, we shall call them Patronus. This weekend, we'll get to find out what the what the future of the team is and who they'll be uh, with. Uh, we understand that they're going to be sponsored by Italian Energy Company with you next year. But um, uh, anyway, yeah. So Franco Morbidelli is with Patronus. He's under a Patronus contract. Or yeah, we're already negotiating to get him out of that. Uh, contract they're going to put him uh, in the factory team next year it would make sense just to move him out just to stick him on the um, uh, stick him on the factory bike right now um, and then find someone to put on the uh, on the second bike that would be a lot easier uh, for Petronas uh, the the team have got very little loyalty towards um, Petronas I actually saw quite a good uh, story um, about the history of Petronas uh, sponsorship and they tend not to be very loyal. They come in, uh, sponsor things for a few races, and then pull out again before they can actually achieve anything. You know, if you contrast them with someone like Repsol, um, who've been there for 25, 26 years or something, um, it's a completely different approach. I don't know. I, I'd kind of dispute that quite a bit because. I remember the first time I saw Patronus was when they came in as a sponsor for Cyber in Formula 1, I want to say about 95. And they stuck with them all the way through to the end of the BMW era, which would have been 2012 or something. And then they went to Mercedes from 2013 onwards or something like that, maybe maybe even earlier than that. And uh, they've kind of, in Formula 1 circles at least, stuck it out pretty well. Maybe another categories it's been a bit different i remember them obviously on the patronus foggy bikes but that yeah. was also a very unique set of circumstances so i think patronus as long as there's value in something they stick with it their problem is they get a lot of value from being the title sponsor for mercedes and formula one they got lewis hamilton they get tons of column inches loads of pictures loads of press how much coverage have they gotten this year very little how much coverage have they gotten since coming into MotoGP? Not all that much compared to the investment that they would have made. And they can easily look at it and say, well, we're making you know a much bigger investment in Formula One, but we're getting a big return on that investment. Whereas in MotoGP, we're making a sizable contribution, but we're not able to get the same kind of return. And Petronas are there just as a sponsor as well. Like they, they weren't saying that they were going to foot the bills if there was anything that was outstanding. And I think that's been the most interesting thing about this year with that team, because... Like the big rumor around the paddock was that by having Franco Morbidelli on a Patronus Yamaha contract, not a, a Yamaha contracted rider like it was for Quattararo, they had to pay his bonuses, and there were big bonuses for last year, and that ended up putting the team in a big hole. And you know they went to their sponsors to try and dig them out, and their sponsors just effectively said, I don't know, lads, we've agreed to pay you X amount. It's up to you to make that budget work. 
we're not digging you out of that hole. And that's where the whole situation through the course of this year has been really interesting to follow because clearly that team had a shortfall in budget and they've had to pay to lease the bikes. They've had all those kind of costs that you have as, as a satellite team in MotoGP. And they had to also foot the bill for last year. That seemed to have a big knock-on effect all the way through this year. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the, sto- of the uh, story with Mick Calio in Mark VDS. You know, Mick Calio was brought in almost as a second rider and they didn't pay him very much money and they offered him, you know, big uh, big bonuses. Uh, and then Mick Calio went on in Moto2 to almost win the championship, uh, winning loads and loads of races. Um, and he just absolutely swallowed up the, the budget. It's always a risk that you, I mean, it's always a risk that you take. You have to gamble on a... Um, on a rider, you have to estimate what you think is going to, first of all, is going to motivate them, and then also what you think you can afford. Um, you can actually buy insurance uh, uh, to, to cover uh, win bonuses and these sort of things. Uh, but then again, you have to balance that off. You know, you have to sort of like say, well, are we going to uh, take out this insurance? Um, are we going to insure this, this risk, this risk of having to pay out a lot if someone starts winning a lot? Uh, because again, you know, the insurance itself is, uh, is fairly pricey. It's not, you know, sort of an extra or 15 quid a month just uh, uh, to cover the fact that you might have to you might end up paying out a couple of million in in win and podium and championship bonuses well to be honest we had to take out that insurance policy for neil's appearance fee and that's why that's the real reason he's not on the show this week we actually couldn't afford to have him now it's a bit like when you get into long-running series of sitcoms and suddenly lead characters don't appear for an episode neil's obviously the leading man here and uh, there's a good reason why he's not on the show this week dave that would also explain why we haven't got the Silver Fox himself, Mr. Um, uh, uh, Mr. Adam Wheeler. Well, I'll be honest, the two boys go hand in hand, really, and uh, we'll obviously have them on paddock notes all the way through this weekend. They're going to be at the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, so they'll be our boots on the ground once again, and uh, always always good to be able to hear what they have to say during those shows. So check out patreon.com forward slash podcast to sign up and become a Paddock Insider. Uh, Dave, just to move on from that side of things about Yamaha and about... Brilliant. I wanted to ask you a quick question about the Patronus team going forward because one of the things that's most interesting for me, obviously, I'm working on World Superbikes, flitter in and out to MotoGP through the course of the season, but mostly I'm in, I'm in Superbikes. And that's where I found it really interesting that the discourse about that team has been that the sponsors are pulling out, the team's going to disappear, and they, you know what's going to happen there? Obviously enough, it looks like they're going to stay on the grid next year. They're going to find another sponsor. But why was this even a, a question mark in the in in the last while? Because teams are given an awful lot of money by Dorna for their grid slots to pay for leasing machinery, to pay for some of the costs, all that kind of thing. So the grid slot is incredibly valuable because it guarantees you this income. So obviously someone's going to figure something out to be able to, to keep teams on the grid. And it's the same in Moto2 and Moto3 because there is still money allocated for grid slots. There is still budget there to assist teams so the moto 2 and moto 3 team mightn't be as stable as you'd like but in all likelihood someone's going to be able to to step into that void yeah i yes i don't think there was ever any question of patronus disappearing uh but the fact is that it uh, patronus would have been bringing in a big chunk of money also because they were actually uh, covering uh moto 2 and moto 3 as well um uh, obviously, Patronus, or well, uh, the, the team get somewhere between five and six million a um, uh, a year, because also there's been a new. Uh, well, as of next year, there will be new contracts. Um, there'll be a new uh, um, 
well, the teams start a new contract period, and with that comes an increase in uh, in the amount of money that they get from Dorna for uh, basically like appearance fees. Um, uh, that is in the region of two and a half, three million uh, uh, per rider. Uh, so it's going to be between five and six million money they're just getting for Dorna for being on the grid. Um, but it probably costs somewhere between ten and fifteen million per uh, per year. Uh, to actually run the team because you've got to, to lease the bikes, which is, you know, two million or whatever. Again, this is why we're talking about uh, Yamaha having B-spec bikes rather than the uh, basically 2021 bikes rather than 2022 bikes. Um, because uh, the, the the lease fee for that will be significantly less. You know, it's going to cost a, a, at least a million less. Uh, and then you've got uh, all of your other expenses. You've got your team managers. You've got your mechanics. You've got your um, uh, your PR staff, your cooking staff. Well, I mean, presumably you'll have your hospitality staff. You hope you'll have your hospitality staff uh, uh, next year if we get hospitality. So there's a lot of money in there. Um, or you can also... Depending, I mean, we saw this previously, uh, a, where Yamaha had the riders under contract, and it's the same in Tech Three, it's the same in Ducati, where Ducati had the riders under contract. So that's not an expense for the team, um, but we're not at all sure that that's going to be the case for uh, for, uh, for Petronas this year. It could, or for next year, it could well be that they are directly contracted to the team. It's hard to see how they'd be Yamaha contracted whenever. The big talk is that it's going to be potentially Davi on the bike. I know even at uh, Superbikes in Navarra, I was chatting to you know a few rider managers uh, that have been involved in discussions on on different sides of things, and they had said that you know this seemed to be the the way that things were going. So if Davi mm. goes, you can't imagine that Yamaha are going to say, Do you know what, let's give a rider closing in on the end of his career a factory Yamaha contract. They're not they're not going to they're not going to be willing to take on that risk. Whereas if it's a younger rider, obviously enough, they might well just take it as like, well, let's take on that just in case yeah exactly i mean if it's um there's a lot of talk that it'll be darren binder and uh and uh, and dovey and as a sort of uh, with dovey being there almost as like as a tutoring role and also um to be competitive right from the off and also because he's italian right and it's an italian sponsor and uh, uh, and they want someone they can sell to their uh, to their own customers uh so that would be um uh, you know that that would definitely be good value for them um it would be much more value for the team than it would be for for yamaha whereas darren binder you know you put, stick him on a motor gp bike you see how he goes it's worth paying him you know a, a, a relatively small amount in moto gp terms for a uh, for a couple of seasons just to see how he develops the same way that um honda did with uh, with jack miller you know they weren't well, when he moved up to moto gp he wasn't on sort of you know five million a year he was uh he, he was on uh, you know, six figures rather than seven figures, and that kept him uh, it, it kept him in beer money and training and motocross bikes basically, um, and allowed him to to develop. And I would expect him to do the same. I would expect Yamaha to look at it the same way. Um, better off having Darren under contract because then someone else can't sort of steal him away, which is sort of what happened with Franco Morbidelli to an extent. They were worried about about losing Morbidelli, but then he had a bit of a shocking season so far this year and uh, weren't so many people interested in him. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about as well with Patronus Yamaha seats for the rest of this season. We're actually going to take a break on the Paddock Pass podcast and when we come back, that's going to be where we're going to take things up. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 Glove. 
With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes, from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. And David, like I was saying, the Petronas Yamaha seats for this weekend, it's really interesting. Cal Crutcher is going to be pushed onto the factory seat after a couple of rounds in Austria on the Petronas bike. Jake Dixon steps up. And uh, I think like this is going to be really key to see what Dixon does this weekend because he's a man under pressure. He's underperformed through the course of this year. When you look at him in his two and a half seasons in, MotoGP, in the GP paddock, he's been in the Moto2 class and he showed a few flashes last year. I think it was maybe Mizano and uh, Le Mans in particular last year where he made that bit of a step forward before he had that bad crash that left him with pretty bad injuries in his wrist. But that's the only time that we've really seen Jake have that bit of a flourish. And uh, now he's got the pressure and the expectation of being a British rider jumping onto that bike at his home round. And at the end of the day, the the moment he rolls down pit lane on Friday, every camera is going to be trained on him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... uh in some ways, it's a fantastic opportunity. Um, it's certainly a good way of getting your name out there, but it's also you're being set up to fail because, as you say, the pressure is horrendous. Um, you're getting on a bike which you've never ridden before. Uh, you're getting on um, a bike shod with tires you've never used before and which are very, very different. Uh, the brakes are different. Um, like you might know the track, but you've got to completely relearn all of your braking points because the, the the brakes work differently. You've got to figure out the electronics. You've got to figure out the tires. You've got to figure out the um, uh, the engine characteristics. And certainly, uh, you know, Jake Dixon was, I am told, uh, uh, you know, pretty handy around Silverstone on a big bike on a on a superbike. But you know, those are two hundred and forty horsepower superbikes, not. 270 280 horsepower motor gp bikes it's it's totally different um really uh, and, and as you say there was a period last year uh, where jake dixon really looked like he was making a step he looked like he'd made a step um, uh, a step forward um and he's just sort of completely disappeared again you know he's i think 19th in the championship it's not really it's nothing to write home about um and he hasn't really shown much sign of, uh, of you know, making any real progression, of, of, of doing anything particularly impressive. So I, I think it's going to be a huge, huge ask for uh, for him this weekend. Uh, but, it'll, you know, that'll be nice for the fans. They'll um, uh, they'll get to see a, a British rider at their home, uh, home Grand Prix. In fact, two British riders, because obviously Cal Crossley will be there. Um, but the, the, the difference is going to be, what's the gap going to be? And it's also, I think... Who we have to um, compare him with is uh, Garrett Gerloff at, at Assen, for example. Like, Gerloff was on a bike at a track he didn't know, um, um, on a bike he didn't know. Uh, so he had a lot to learn. Um, uh, but he had briefly ridden a MotoGP bike before, so he had a little bit of experience. Uh, Dixon has, has got a very similar sort of um, uh, mountain to climb, so I think it's going to be interesting to measure the gap between Dixon and uh, Gerloff, basically the gap to the front, if you like. Yeah, and uh, obviously for Dixon this season, we've seen him start the season really strong. Qatar, I think he had a top 10 finish in the first race, qualified in the second row for the second race in Qatar, and then in Portimao, he was actually running inside the top 10. But from that point onwards, 
We haven't really seen too much from him. A few points paying finishes. He's finished 11 the last two re- weekends in Austria. So at least there's a little bit of an upturn in form from there. So hopefully he's able to carry that momentum forward. I remember in 2016, obviously that was my first year working in World Superbikes. And I went to Silverstone for the, for the Grand Prix. And Alex Lowe's was on the Tectois Yamaha that weekend. And I remember chatting to him about the challenges of going to something completely different. And it's a bit like that for Dixon now as well, because you're going from you know a Moto2 bike onto a MotoGP bike. You're going from Dunlop tires onto Michelin tires. You're going from steel brakes to carbon brakes, all those kind of things. And at that stage, I remember Lowe's was able to talk about, like he knew Silverstone, but didn't know anything about it on, a, on that type of bike. And Dixon's going to be in the exact same boat. He has had a couple of podiums at Silverstone on the Grand Prix track in BSB, but uh, that's also where you're going back a few years to a bike with no electronics, lots of different circumstances. And this is a real jump into the deep end. And Dave, this is the first time that I can really remember it where a British rider is getting that big advantage to see what they're able to do, really. And Dixon's got the opportunity where if he goes in and he does a half-decent job, if he does what Gerloff did in, in Assen, he kind of gives himself an opportunity where maybe that passport's going to be a big difference to getting them on the grid next year. Yeah, I mean, BT Sport pay a lot of money to show uh, MotoGP. Um, there, was a, there was a period where, I mean, you know, Cal Crutchlow uh, was a fantastic salesman for MotoGP uh, in the UK. Uh, he was extremely competitive. You know, he won races. He was uh, he, he got lots of podiums. He was um, uh, uh, an interesting and entertaining character. Um, that is a, BT Sport still needs a British... Uh, still needs a, a British rider on the grid or still wants a British rider on the grid. Um, and there aren't any really obvious uh, candidates. The candidates from World Superbikes have all sort of pretty much turned it down, if you like. And, you know, and it would only really have been Jonathan Ray. Uh, but Jonathan Ray um, sort of looked at it and decided against it. Um so yeah, this time people you know talk a lot about uh, passport racing and uh, Spaniards getting having an unfair advantage. Where in actual fact, Donna are desperate to get rid of Spaniards in MotoGP because there's too many of them, uh, and this is a really good way of, um, of of getting a non Spaniard in. And Dixon has got the right passport. He helps sell. Uh, uh, he would help sell sort of viewers in the uh, or, or sell TV contracts. In the UK, it would be. Uh, I don't think it would. Um, I don't think. Would ne- I don't think he necessarily deserves the actual step uh, itself, unless he, st- he can prove something uh, later this year, or if he, uh, as you say, gets on the bike and is really impressive. You know, if he's uh, not last and, and pushing on for the points, then you know may- maybe there's something worth looking at. Yeah, and I think it's always interesting to look at some of the rides we've seen from guys that have jumped on to bikes like this replacement riders getting an opportunity mad mike jones scored points on his moto gp debut on an avintia ducati i think Lowe's ended up 13th at silverstone that year jordy torres has jumped onto bikes and done a decent job javi Fares as well so there is an opportunity for dixon but like you said dave it's up to him to grab it with both hands because it could only be for one race as well because from what i've been hearing is javi vieres might get an opportunity to race in aragon that's one of his home races close to barcelona so for him he's going to get potentially that opportunity so this could be a one and done deal for dixon unless it's a, a case of like i said maybe at some point 
They move Franco onto the factory seat and then they're using this seat just to trial out riders for the rest of the season. Uh, yeah, possibly. But I mean, I've also been seeing things about Dovi being put on the bike for the rest of the season as well. That could also be a possibility. Uh, obviously, the with the arrival of Maverick Vinales, the testing role for um, uh, Andrea Dovicioso goes away. There's very little point to him testing. Uh, and if um, Dovi is looking to sign for Yamaha, then Aprilia would be... Uh, a great deal less interested in letting them actually ride the bike because um, uh, they'd be giving away their secrets, basically. This is especially the period of time where we are developing the 2020 bike. Um, and uh, so it's actually it's actually worth looking at the bike right now. Um, uh, they, if Dovi were to ride the bike at Mijana next week, for example, uh, at the test and then go to Yamaha, uh, then he would be taking significantly valuable uh, data with him so uh you know Dovi's going to be unemployed for the rest of the year probably and that's going to th that makes him attractive that makes him also it makes it sense then um because there is going to be a seat to fill to put him on the bike right now obviously enough david yamaha released vinales from his contract he's free to join aprilia maybe there was a reciprocal agreement as well there to to give Dovi an opportunity uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it would it makes sense uh, if it was me. Uh, but then again, my my track record in all of these predictions so far this season has been absolutely abysmal. So there, um, uh, I would take it with a pinch of salt. But I mean, I would put Dovi on the bike. Um, it, it it makes sense. He's available. It, it also gives you a chance to see how quickly he can adapt. Uh, if he if he wants to race, then do it. Well, let's move on, David, to start talking about this weekend. And I'll actually kick off with Aprilia because they've got some big upgrades coming in the next couple of rounds. Obviously, you've got Silverstone, Aragon and Mizano. So some good opportunities for Aprilia. It looks like they're going to have a new engine this weekend. Good chance for them to be able to make that step forward. Yeah, I mean the new engine is supposed to have a bit more um, a bit more horsepower, which is exactly what was missing. Um, the bike itself is pretty good. The bike is actually uh, quite competitive. Um, we've seen that, and it you know it turns, it stops. Uh, the only it, it even accelerates reasonably. Um, it's just down on power on uh, against the other bikes. And Silverstone is a flowing track. It is a track where you can carry speed and, you know, the outright horsepower doesn't matter. I mean, you know, we've seen the number of Yamahas and Suzukis which have uh, which have won there and which have done well there. So it's obviously not a horsepower track, um, even though it is a very, very fast track. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a real opportunity, and especially if the, G, if, if the Aprilia has got a bit more horsepower. Um, it's going to be very, very, uh, it's going to be very, very interesting interesting to see how do you see it playing out at Aprilia as well Dave because obviously Aleish has had that as his team for so long and now Maverick Vinales joins and this is a bit like what happened to Aleish when he was at Suzuki where in 2015 he had everything focused around him it really looked like he was going to have good opportunities with them Maverick obviously comes in as a rookie so you know he's learning the ropes but pretty quickly it seemed that uh, you know he was able to take that fight to Aleish. Aleish lost out on that role as the experienced hand to lead the development. And now, obviously, at Aprilia, he's had that role for so long, but now Maverick comes in and, like, there's no bones about it. Like, Maverick is a better rider than Aleish. His track record shows that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, 
I think Alasius Bargaro is about to find out. Um, it's about to have a similar experience to his uh, to his brother um, uh, Paul in uh, HRC, where you know a second rider comes in and all of a sudden uh, things get a lot more difficult. Things change because I really do think that the 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 focus of Aprilia is going to shift from Alash, um, who has been very good at getting the bike this far. Uh, towards uh, towards Maverick Vinales, who they expect, who they are pinning their hopes on, and actually sort of performing. Uh, obviously, they're getting Maverick Vinales cheap because uh, he had nowhere else to go for a, for a little while. But the expectations, I mean, he's a proven winner. He's a proven race winner. He's he. We start off every season expecting him to compete for the championship. So yeah, he is he he's a proven quantity. We know he's good. Um, uh, Aprilia will be putting their money on him. Yeah, and uh, Dave, the big thing with it now is we get to see how good the Aprilia is because it looks like that bike's very good. Everyone knows that Aleish is, is a good rider. He's in that second tier of riders that if he did finally manage to get back on the podium, you wouldn't be surprised. But Maverick Vinales is, like you said, a proven year-in, year-out race winner, title contender, needs the right environment around them quite clearly. But now we're going to see both how good Alacious and how good the Aprilia is because it's always interesting whenever a bike makes that sort of significant step forward. It's been one of the big talking points all the way through this season. How did nobody know to jump on the bike last year when they were offered it? And now we're going to get that chance to see what happens whenever an absolute top tier riders is on it. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, in a way, it's also still a shame because we know how much of Maverick's uh, problems revolve around his personality and whether he feels valued and uh, how things are going and whether he can cope, how he copes with uh, when things don't go well and all the rest of it. So um, if Maverick gets on the bike and doesn't go fast, then we still have to ask, okay, is it the bike or is it Maverick? Um, you know, what if you put Mark Marquez on there, who is someone who would just leap on and be fast straight away? Uh, or, you know, a, a, another another proven quantity, somebody who looks like they're capable of actually sw uh, switching bikes around. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it will be it will be a much clearer situation, I think, once we get uh, Vinales on the Aprilia. It will it should give us a much better a much better benchmark, and I think it's also going to be important. For Vinales to be on that bike again, it's going to be really interesting to see how Vinales, because he's going to jump on this bike mid-season, completely different bike, completely different setup. Everything is different. Lots of uh, lots of things to learn, um, and he's going to jump straight into a race weekend. Um, at least he'll have had you know one or two days testing on the bike. That should help. Uh, but it's still like a really, really big leap to go from that straight into straight into racing, uh, and it's going to be interesting how he how he copes with that because it's going to be a lot more difficult than what he has been used to in the past. It gives him a chance to learn to understand, um, but how does he cope with that? That that again is also a, a difficult question because he's not necessarily shown the patience to uh, you know build up and build up and build up. Is that a good opportunity for Maverick then, Dave? Because obviously we see all the way through the off-season that whenever he doesn't have that pressure, you know, when it's just testing, he's always able to set really good lap times, do a good job, and then over the course of the last years, it's been once we're into that white-hot atmosphere of a race weekend when the pressure really starts to build up, that he has had his issues. Whereas if he jumps onto the Aprilia for the rest of the season, let's say from Aragon or Marzano onwards, and he gets the last four or five rounds of the year, he's able to use them as a real 
test bed and he's able just to try and build himself up slowly and see how close he can get to a leash. There's going to be no pressure on him this season. There's going to be no expectation. If he jumps on it and does a great job, it's fantastic. If he doesn't, he's always able to say, oh, well, I'm working towards next year. And not having that pressure could make a big difference for him. Yeah, but it's that's pressure from the outside. And what's much more difficult for riders and much more important for riders is pressure internally. I mean, you know, sure, pressure from the outside is is always a big thing. Um, but I think for especially for Maverick, his biggest problem has always been the pressure he's put on himself. Like he expects to win. He expects to win everything. Um, and his biggest problem has been that he's never been able to jump on the bike and just win everything because nobody can win everything. Even Mark Marquez wasn't winning everything. Um, uh, and he how was now, Dave, wasn't he? He was. Well, no, because sometimes he was finishing second. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, how you deal with that, how you cope with that kind of pressure, okay, things are not going as well. We've talked about this so many times about the way that you win a championship. You win a championship on the days, where on your bad days. You win a championship on the days when you are not going to win, um, but you've still got to come home with a big uh, with a big haul. That actually puts a lot of pressure on you because it's easy just to push yourself over the, le- uh, over the edge. We've seen it with lots of other riders. Alex Rince is a classic example who, you know, will go out and try to win it and end up crashing out and being disappointed. Um, so, yeah. How Maverick, how Maverick deals with that is going to be interesting. Yeah, because uh, we're going to take a break on the Paddock Pass podcast. But David, just because you mentioned, mentioned Rins, when we come back, we're going to talk about Suzuki's prospects this weekend at a track where they've always gone really well. Renthal Fat Bars are synonymous with off-road world champions. The Renthal Street Fat Bar draws from decades of experience to create the ultimate 28mm handlebar in a range of street-specific bends. Whether you're looking to alter the height, width, rise, or sweep of your handlebar, Renthal Street Handlebars offer a bend to suit your requirements. Use the WorksFit Handlebar Comparison Tool at Renthal.com to find the perfect bend. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass Podcast. And Dave, you didn't you didn't read the running order I sent you because I clearly had Ducati listed before Suzuki. You've mentioned Suzuki, so we're having to jump forward now. Suzuki at Silverstone is one of those great success stories. Even you go back all the way through to the 80s with Suzuki there. They've had six wins at the track, but they've had two wins since we've gone back there. And one of them was Vinales back in 2016, and that was a real stunning success. And then Alex Rins in probably one of the best races I can remember. I thought it was an absolute thriller. Battle to the last corner, himself and Mark Marquez. That was one of those times where you could see Mark can be beaten, but like you said earlier on, when Mark's beaten, typically at that stage, he was finishing in second spot. But Suzuki, they go really well there. This is a huge weekend for them because Mir's up to third in the championship and he's just in that stage now where he's plodding back into contention. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really hoping to see uh, Mir versus Quattararo because that, on paper, that's what you'd expect at this circuit. Uh, you know, Quattararo is in fantastic shape. Uh, Juan Mir is in fantastic shape. The, su- the 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 circuit really, really, really suits um, the Suzuki and the MR. It's fast. It's flowing. Um, you know, I don't think either bike has a particular advantage over the other. They both do things really, really well. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's going to be f- absolutely fascinating to see. Um, it's also going to be interesting, interesting to see Rins. Rins generally takes longer to uh, adapt to stuff. Um, uh, Rins was struggling a bit more with the um, – well, he was struggling with sort of front braking at um, – uh, in Austria, but also 
getting used to the ride height device. Again, Silverstone is not really a track where the ride height device is a really um, big, it, it, it's, you know, a big thing. There's only a few places where you would actually be be using it because there's very few places where you're actually, you know, coming out of a slow corner and really hammering on the. Um, uh, 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 hammering on the gas sort of thing, really, really on hard acceleration. Like I say, it's a place where you tend to carry a lot of speed. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I think Suzuki, the, this is an absolute golden chance for Juan Mir to, you know, finally win a race this season and get his championship on uh, on track. But it's also going to be a, a, absolutely crucial for Fabio Quartararo to limit any damage if he is not um, if he's not winning, but it's also you know it's also a track where he can 100 win. This is this is a track where he could do really really well. This is an ideal track for Suzuki, but it's an ideal track for Yamaha as well. Fabio Quattararo has got a real opportunity this weekend. Yamaha have always been on the podium since we went back to Silverstone in 2010. You look back through it, and you've had Ben Spees, Jorge Lorenzo, Maverick Vinales, Rossi. This is a track that's always worked well for that bike. This is an opportunity for Fabio. That's why it's so important for Vinales because he's at that point now where another weekend where Fabio extends his lead, he's two races clear. So for Juan Mir, this weekend is absolutely critical. Exactly. I mean, as I was saying, it, it is basically those two against each other. They, they both they both can see that this is a really, really big opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, to, to score a win. I think it's more important for Juan Mir to win a race here. Um, I think it's more important for Quattararo to limit the damage here. But he's going to want to win. He's going to want to, uh, you know, actually get a victory. It's been... He he came away from, I mean, he, he came out of Austria relatively unscathed, which would be nice. But he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't winning races. Um, he's got to want to win a race um, uh, again soon because that's what champions want, and this has to be an ideal uh, opportunity for him. Um, uh, again, Misano also a track where he could uh, where, where he could do well. Uh, Aragon a bit more difficult for him, I think. Um, but yeah, th this is a golden opportunity for for Fabio Quartararo to, to to get back on the you know on the top step um, and extend his championship lead again. And Dave, this is also a weekend where obviously in 2018 we had horrendous weather at Silverstone. The race ended up being called, called off. But this weekend we've got typical British weather. It's going to be 23, 24 degrees. There's been no clouds in the sky since I came back from Spain here in Ireland. It's very much the same over in England. So ideal conditions for everyone out there as well. So this is going to come down to who's able to do the best job out there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone gets their uh, gets a chance. It doesn't look like they're going to lose too uh, too much time to uh, to rain. The well, I suppose the difficulty at Silverstone is that it can be quite cool in the mornings, um, and that makes finding uh, the ideal setup quite difficult sometimes because you can't really test the tires that you want to test um, because the harder compounds are just not going to work. They're not going to get up to uh, get up to temperature. Uh, that's been true throughout the uh, certainly throughout the Michelin period that the their temper their, their tires are a little more temperature sensitive um so it's going to be uh, that's going to take thing it means that you're going to have to be a little bit more careful a little bit more consistent but everyone should get enough time to work through their setup on uh, and find the ideal setup and 
like I say, quite honestly, I mean, I'm I'm hoping, I'm expecting, you know, Suzuki versus Yamaha, um, and it could go down to the wire again. So it should be a very tasty prospect. Dave, I want to move on from Suzuki. I said Mir third in the championship. He's equal on points with Bagnaya. Bagnaya is at more second places. That's what puts him ahead of it right now. But Ducati have three riders inside the top five. Jack Miller is the only one that's won races of Miller, uh, Bagnaya, and uh, Johan Zarco. But who's the actual top rider at Yamaha? Because obviously last time out we saw Jorge Martin in fantastic form in Austria. Again, given that perfect illustration that at any given weekend, Ducati's the bike to be on. But you never know which rider is going to be the one that comes out on top with them. Uh, yeah, that's exactly the point. Yeah, who is Ducati's number one rider? The, Ducati's biggest problem is that they don't have a number one rider. They have... Uh, a rider who can win races in uh, Jack Miller, uh, and you would expect Miller to do, actually do quite well at um, at Silverstone. It's um, it's the sort of track where he can perform well. Um, uh, Peke Banyaya uh, could also perform well. Jorge Martin was totally focused on uh, Austria. You know, he picked Austria out as a circuit where he could win. Um, or where he felt he could do very well and where he wanted to do very well. Um, and, you know, where he did end up doing just an outstanding job, really. So, uh, yeah, the, he picked that one out um, uh, and uh, and did extremely well. But he ended up taking points off of uh, his fellow Ducati riders. And, the, yeah, like I say, this is Ducati's biggest problem. Who is Ducati's number one rider? They don't have a number one rider. That can be good because it means you've always got someone in the fight, but it does make winning a championship extremely difficult because you don't have a focus point. You don't have a focal point. You don't have um, uh, one rider who is having to ca carry the weight. Their biggest problem is that all of their riders have been you know, inconsistent. They're, I suppose the most consistent rider has been Joan Zarco uh, but Zarco all he's you know he, the best he can do at the moment seems to be to finish second he hasn't looked like he's been capable of dominating and, and winning that way um, you, you feel that Pekka Banyaya is close to a win as well could he do it this weekend I'm not sure but um, yeah it, it's yeah like I say Ducati doesn't have a single. They don't have a single you know, sort of spear point. They don't have a. Um, uh, they, they don't have a focus. They don't have one person leading the charge, and uh, that's their. That's a weakness when it comes to actually mounting a title challenge. They could end up sort of. Yeah, they could end up winning the, the manufacturers' championship, um, or even the teams' championship, but then losing the. Um, uh, being nowhere in the uh, in the rider championship. Yeah, I was going to say there are three points clear in the Manufacturers' Championship. That's your best result from each individual race. So it gives a good indication of where they've been over the course of the season so far. Obviously, Fabio Quattararo given the lion's share of those points for Yamaha in their championship. But uh, I think, David, going into this weekend as well, we can't uh, talk about Silverstone without a quick mention of Mark Marquez as well and seeing what we expect from the Honda rider. Because last time out in Austria, we again saw flashes of the real Mark Marquez coming back. Yeah, uh, yes, he is. Uh, he's definitely back again. Um, he's still struggling uh, a little bit. I would expect uh, the 
Well, the the thing about this circuit is because it is uh, you know quite a flowing circuit, it won't be it won't stress his right arm and his right shoulder quite so much. But every time he gets on the bike, he's learning a little bit more about how to ride the bike, about how to get more out of the bike riding in his current condition. Uh, it, the way it's looking is he's not going to be sort of you know fully fit until maybe next year, and he might not ever be completely fully fit again but that won't mean that he can't actually win um uh, he, he's still capable of winning races as he's already proved this year um uh, obviously you know he nearly beat uh he nearly beat rins in 2019 um he's he's been very successful at, uh, at silverstone it's a track where he can uh, where he can do well i don't think the honda is it's also a track where, which doesn't really suit the Honda in that there's they you can't really use that braking, which is where it's always been so strong, braking into corners um, uh, to pass people. Uh, there's only a few opportunities where where Marcus can actually do that, but um, I think he's going to make another step forward, and I think he's going. He could well be. Uh, a, a confounding factor for the people who expect to be on the cha- uh, on the podium the, uh, this weekend, and I, I would not be surprised to see him on the podium. Let's uh, finish off today's show, Dave. Obviously, a preview for the British Grand Prix with a quick mention of Brad Binder and KTM as well, because it's going to be interesting to see how they do this weekend. Because this is a track, obviously, you're going back to 2019 for the last time the KTM were there. It was a track where they didn't really do didn't set the world afire because that season was so tough for them. I think uh, Paul came away with a top 10 finish. He was about a second and a lap off the pace. This was where Johan's Arco was coming to the end of his tenure. And uh, there's not an awful lot that can be read into past results for KTM at this track. But what's your expectation for them for this weekend on the basis of what they've been able to do from you know the midpoint of this season onwards? Because from once they were able to figure out the tyres, they've been able to make that big step forward. Yeah, I mean, if you think of what they did at Mugello, uh, the, you know, the, the step forward they made at Mugello, then you would have to say uh, th- that they're going to be capable of doing something. I, I um, Also, th- this is the kind of track which I think suits uh, suits Miguel Oliveira. It's the kind of track where you need to be sort of clever and, and think about what you're doing. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you'd really expect the, the, the KTMs to be um, uh, in the mix. They've improved the, the the turning of the bike you know the, the the with the new chassis which allows them to use the front tire more that i think is uh, th- that's been such a such a huge step forward that it actually make it means they can manage that tire all the way um it means they um it it means they they're going to be more competitive at a flowing track like uh like Silverstone. The interesting thing is what happens on race day. Obviously it's still a bike which wants a stiffer front tire. It needs a harder front tire. Um if temperatures are a bit cool because we're racing at 1 p.m. rather than 2 p.m. local time uh to fit a 2 p.m. UK time or um uh, European time slot. Um, so temperatures could be a little bit lower if they're forced again onto a tire which they're not really comfortable with. Uh, then it makes their job a great deal, a great, a great deal more complicated. Um, but there, they're a question mark. You expect them to be a factor. Yeah, Dave, your job's going to be complicated this weekend. We've got. Uh daily shows for the paddock notes at patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast and uh, then the usual rundown of deadlines on a daily basis for you but uh, there's nothing quite like the british grand prix as well for wetting the appetite this is going to be a, a weekend where we're going to see stunning racing all the way through 
I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see what Neil and Adam have to say whenever they join us again over the course of the weekend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it's such a great track. I, I really do love Silverstone. He's one of my... Uh, it's one of my favorite tracks, uh, just as a racing track. I mean, you know, what it really needs to be is set in a mountain valley somewhere. But um, unfortunately, that's uh, uh, unfortunately it's on top of a, uh, a hill in Northamptonshire. But you can't have everything. Yeah, unfortunately, not every track is set in the middle of the Styrian Mountains or the middle <laughs> of Tuscany. But uh, Silverstone's not bad. It's uh, certainly uh, certainly the track makes up for the, the flat setting in, in some ways. But uh, I think it's definitely one of those tracks that always produces great racing so i'm excited for this weekend and i'm sure everyone listening to today's show is going to be excited for it as well so from myself steve english from david emmett a big thank you to everyone for listening to today's show if you've got any questions that you want to answer during the course of the paddock note shows over the course of the weekend just make sure to drop us a message at paddock pass pod on twitter or you can drop us a, a, a dm as well and we'll be able to get those answered over the course of the weekend if you want to check out patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast to sign up for the paddock notes you can do that for ten dollars a month and that's where you'll get uh, up-to-date information each day of a grand prix weekend so from all of us on the paddock pass podcast team a big thank you to everyone for listening and a big thank you to our sponsors for today's shows fly racing and also rent all street this episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by jensen beeler david emmett steve english neil morrison and adam wheeler it was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. Yeah, because I, I was going to say, Dave, that Yamaha have been so strong there as well over the years. I think there was only one year, maybe 2018, where... Actually, there was no race in 2018. There so wasn't. Explained, no, no, no. I, that explains why Yamaha rain. weren't on the podium whenever I think about it in my head. But <laughs> Yamaha have always been on the podium. Let me just ch- correct myself there then, Dave. I'm going to just change that, JB. 30s. I'll, do you know what, Dave? I'm just going to mute that so Jensen doesn't even know what I said. <laughs>